Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is the word of God. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word right now, we continue our worship of you. And we do that, Lord, by submitting to your lordship. We submit to your word as the authoritative thing for our lives. So use it to speak into us now, to change us, transform us, mature us into our head, who is Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The truth spoken in love builds up the body of Christ and the individuals of it. Let me say that again. The truth spoken in love builds up the body of Christ and the individuals of it. That's it. That's the sermon. But there's a problem, isn't there? Just a little bit. While that sentence was easy to write and for me to say, the application of that sentence isn't easy. Now the goal of speaking and listening to the truth spoken in love, is that we'd ask what it means for each place in our life to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's asking the question, what does Jesus' death and resurrection mean for my life and choices and attitudes? What does Jesus' lordship mean for how I spend money? For how I spend my time? What does Jesus' lordship mean for what I think about sex? For how I treat people? For how I view government? For how I handle my social media presence? When we allow the gospel of Jesus, the word, the truth, into every facet of our lives, we mature. The alternative to asking these hard questions of every part of our life is remaining immature. Remaining childish in our disposition and demeanor, as verse 14 says, children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I think it's relatively simple to intellectually give credit to something. 
It's another thing to actually live out the implication. Author and biblical counselor David Powlison said it this way. You know the problem well. On one hand, our Lord gives us the living words of Scripture, so full of glory and good sense. On the other hand, you have a living person sitting in front of you, a never-to-be-repeated mosaic of troubles and wonders. And between the two, there's a fundamental disconnect. This is essentially the challenge with both speaking and listening to the truth in love. Because sin, it's affected us all the way to our core. Our desires aren't naturally to please God anymore. And even when we are made new in Christ, there's still this remnant of our old self that remains and needs to be transformed into Christ-likeness. We love Jesus. He's great. We trust him is what we cry out. Then we must let him into every part of our lives. Even the nooks and crannies where the dust bunnies and the garbage kind of pile up. It's easy for that stuff to remain hidden, isn't it? But the truth spoken in love, it builds up the body of Christ and the individuals of it. And it does that because it helps us make the connections that we need to between our head and our hearts. Or for the feelers among us, between our hearts and our heads. We need to bring God's word into our lives to shape us and to mold us into his likeness. Our propensity, what's natural to us now, is to do the opposite. To try to make God's word fit our feelings or to fit the agenda that we have. That is why it's the truth spoken in love that is the recipe that we've been given for maturity. Now, if you're just joining us this week, or you, like me, need a refresher every once in a while for what we've covered recently, chapter 4 marked a shift in Paul's focus in Ephesians. The first three chapters primarily address the doctrinal foundation of our faith. They address a vertical relationship between us and God. In chapter 4, Paul gets into the implication of that and all that that means for life and relationships here and now. Chapter 4 starts into the new ethics that reverberate through our lives as Christ followers. Now, chapters 1 through 3 are primarily about the vertical relationship with Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 flesh out our horizontal relationship with each other as we see Christ together. So Ben spoke a couple weeks ago about gospel culture in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Last week we heard about the special gifts and roles that God gives those in the church to build her up. The purpose of the gifts being to build up the body, to strengthen it. As verse 13 said, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul gives us more ingredients and mixing instructions for the recipe for maturity 
when he writes in verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. From this text, we see the main ingredient for our growth and maturity, the word. We'll see how we mix the main ingredient together with our lives in ministry. And we'll see the baked product, or maybe the progressive sanctification way to say it is the baking product, is that we grow up into Christ. This is the paradigm. It really is just that. It's a paradigm that Paul gives us for life together, united in Christ. Now, in order to speak the truth in love, we need the word. This is what Paul has in mind when he says to speak the truth. When Paul says speak the truth, he has in mind the heart of the gospel message. And all of the Bible, the word as I'm calling it, points to and culminates in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the truth that Paul is speaking of. That Christ died for sinners to rescue us from bondage to sin, bringing glory to himself in the most loving act in human history. Paul gives great clarity about all of Scripture's usefulness. Later in his second letter to Timothy, the young pastor, when he writes this, all scripture is God breathed, or excuse me, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We don't need to be confused about what truth is. We don't need to be insecure about what truth is or that it might change. God has shown us in his word, the Bible. But some have questions. And if you have questions about how you can know that the Bible is trustworthy and worth believing in, or questions about how the narrative throughout Scripture points to Jesus' sufficiency as Savior of sinners, please do ask. You don't need to shy away from those questions. Scripture can handle your questions Many good and godly people have wrestled with these questions and many more for centuries. If you have questions, you're not the first one and you're not the only one. So please reach out and let's connect and let's consider answers for your questions. Now this truth, this word that God has given us is the main ingredient that we need in our lives Without the word, the substance is lacking in the dough, isn't it? It's like baking bread with no flour. It just doesn't turn out well. That could have been a gluten-free joke, right? <laughs> now, when we can, what, we, what can we learn from this vision of the truth that Paul has for us? Namely, that we need it. That we need to know it. And we need to speak the truth in love to one another. 
And different than in verse 11, where Paul mentions specific roles or gifts given to build up the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. It isn't dependent upon giftedness. If you have Christ as Lord, you have this ministry to speak the truth in love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now it is ministry that mixes the word into our life to mature us. And now our collective ministry as a church is a ministry of the word. A ministry that is built on the word. A ministry that uses the word to exalt Christ. Bringing him to bear on our hearts and minds for the benefit of our souls. Now in this paradigm... There are three ways that the word is ministered to our souls. They are the public, private, and personal ministries of the word. They all work together. One isn't better or worse than another. They're all essential in the life of a disciple of Christ. And this is drawn from many places in scripture. It's observed frequently in Jesus' own ministry. If you observe the public, private, and personal ministries of the word. First, we minister the word to each other through the public ministry of the word. This is the public proclamation of the gospel, preaching. At Orchard, we do this systematically by preaching expositionally through books of the Bible. Expositionally is a fancy way of saying we expound on, we talk about and apply to our lives what the scriptures say and mean for us on Sunday mornings, and other moments, public teaching and preaching throughout our week together. This is a distinctive of our philosophy of ministry at Orchard. And if you're new or you're getting to know us, you should know that this is a pillar of Orchard's ministry because we think that the Bible tells us it should be. It's how we as a church devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, as Acts 2.42 says. And again, we saw in Jesus' model of ministry that he preached and taught publicly to large gathered crowds. He opened the scriptures, which at the time was the Old Testament, and he interpreted them for the crowd. This is essential. And this is speaking the truth in love from the pulpit or the podium. Now, Secondly, we have a private ministry of the word. We need to speak the truth to ourselves, to our own souls. Maybe more accurately said, we need to allow Scripture, through the Holy Spirit's illuminating power, to speak the truth to us in private. I don't mean this to sound extra mystical or anything. I mean, it is supernatural, and it's good to think of it that way. Your needy soul is coming face to face with the transformative truth when you open the scriptures to read. This is significant, and it's why we must discipline ourselves to do this on a regular basis. Now think of the private ministry of the word as your devotional life. Reading the Bible, prayer. Well, the private ministry of the word, this is a personal discipline, and Every follower of Christ has to work on this. We need to be feeding on God's word, letting it be sown into and saturating our minds and our hearts. 
allowing it to seep into those dusty corners that don't get touched very often, that need some refining and some changes and growth. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said this, One bit of Bible prayed over and bedewed with the Spirit and made alive, though it be only a short sentence of six words, will profit you more than a hundred chapters without the Spirit. Now this is one of those areas that can kind of feel shame-producing because we can struggle with this. If you're a poor reader, listen to the word read to you through an app on your phone. If you like digging deep, cozy up with the study Bible and read the notes and engage with the word that way. If you want the flyover view and you like learning how all of Scripture ties together, read through the whole thing cover to cover. You don't have to do it in one year. We talk about that. There's plans built for that. And that's a wonderful habit and discipline. Take more time than that if you need that. Or do it in less. This isn't a legalistic rule for our lives. You're not justified because you opened your Bible to read it. But as you dive into God's word and allow it the authority in your life, it'll change you. And it'll change you for the better. It'll convict you at times, yes. It'll admonish you when sin is growing. But the conviction and the admonishment is for your good. It'll also encourage you and edify you. In any case, God's word will bless you. One consistent thing in the lives of those who are floundering spiritually, falling away from the Lord, is that this ministry of the word has been dormant in their life. And probably for some time. Lies about who God is and what sin is are allowed to grow like a weed that takes over the whole garden when the word isn't consistently in your heart. I'm not sure I've seen this much in Colorado, but in Minnesota, there's a weed that takes over lawns. It's tough to spot at first. It kind of starts under the grass. It begins growing, and then almost too late, it takes over large patches of grass. Its Latin name is Glenchoma heterosea, more affectionately referred to as Creeping Charlie. Now, first of all, if your name is Charlie, I'm sorry. Second of all, how creepy did Charlie have to be to get a weed named after him like this? Now, this weed takes over the lawn because it goes undetected for so long. And sin is just like this. And when we aren't allowing God's word into our lives regularly, it allows sin to go undetected and creep along in our lives until it's taken over large swaths of it. And we end up living to feed the large weed patch, our fleshly sinful desires, instead of living to feed the new person that we are to be becoming in Christ. When we neglect this ministry, we'll be like children, tossed to and fro by the latest fads, 
the latest doctrines, the latest social media hubbub, pop culture. Now we need the public and the private ministry of the word in our lives. We need the word preached to us. We need the truth spoken and love to us in these ways. And we need to speak the truth and love to ourselves in this way. The ministry of the word, it's like a three-legged stool. The public and private ministry of the word are two legs. The third leg is what I'm calling, and others have called, the personal ministry of the word. Public, private, and now personal ministry of the word. Personal ministry of the word is when we speak the truth in love to one another. Now, this might look like a home group meeting to discuss scripture and a Bible study or a sermon-based discussion. This might look like a group of men or women gathering around God's word to understand it and to apply it to their lives. Those individual coffees and lunches together with a brother or sister in Christ, there are all kinds of settings where we do this. It needs to be inherent in anything that we call ministry. This is a significant part of speaking the truth in love. And I think it might be one of the hardest areas as a body for us to mature in. Let's think about this. When we share together a personal ministry of the word in one another's lives, it gets real, doesn't it? When we speak the truth and love to one another, it's hard to avoid that tough six inches of travel from our head down to our heart. There's some accountability that's inherent in it because of that. It brings the more personal parts of our lives into the light with trusted brothers or sisters in Christ. Paulison again said it this way. All vital ministry of word and spirit arises at an intersection. Truth meets truth. Divine redeemer meets honest human need. So when people meet for discipleship or pastoral counseling, the key elements of that more profound meeting must get on the table. We need each other to bring God's word to bear on our lives. As Ed Welch says, we are both needy and needed in the body of Christ. A picture Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 with this personal ministry of the word in mind. Those verses say this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will help up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. When you are down and discouraged and distracted from the gospel because of challenges in life, you need your brother or sister to be there to help lift you up out of the miry clay. We need to have word-saturated time with people so that we'd be reminded of the promises of the word, so that we might have endurance. We need each other so that we'd be reminded to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners that we wouldn't grow weary or lose heart. And it's not just the discouraging moments when we need the word in each other. I mean, we need it 
just as bad when we're successful, don't we? So we're not carried away by sinful pride in our achievements, so that we don't seek to build our kingdom, but that we'd be focused on Christ's. Now, both the heights and the depths can be a distraction from following Christ in faith. Now, some of you might be cringing right now. You might be nervous because you've been hurt by someone speaking the truth like it's a club to beat you down with. Maybe you've been spiritually abused by someone who wields the truth like a chainsaw or a battering ram instead of with the precision of a scalpel or a pruning shears. Like Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I'm a fairly stubborn person, I think. And sometimes in my life, I've needed the word to be like a two-by-four in the forehead. And God, through the Holy Spirit's presence in my life, has used it that way for my good. To startle me. To help me see the gravity of a sinful situation in my life. Or the precipice that I was standing on and ready to fall off of. But most of the time, it's a still, small voice. It's Jesus with the pruner. Perhaps through a brother or a sister in Christ. Lovingly. Gently, patiently pruning is Jesus so that the weeds would stop taking the good nutrients and water and sunlight and stealing them from the branches on the vine. Now the key here is to speak the truth in love to one another. In verse 16, Paul says that the body builds itself up in love This love is our motivation when we speak to each other. We must not divorce truth and love. If we elevate one above the other, we're missing the point. John Stott, as he does often, perceptively wrote this. Thank God that there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. The truth of the gospel needs to be proclaimed and upheld within the community of believers, but it needs to be done with a heart that is tender and concerned about the feelings, growth, and well-being of fellow believers. Now, as a speaker of truth to our brothers and sisters, we all need to wisely and lovingly apply the truth to our own lives first. To examine our own hearts and make sure that we have the growth of the body in mind. Proverbs eighteen thirteen: if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. No, speaking the truth in love is a thoughtful understanding, considerate, prayerful, and gentle process. 
So what are the principles to guide us as we speak the truth in love to one another? Does it look like vigilantes without relationship or care or consideration for fellow believers? No. Does it look like brothers and sisters in Christ living like disengaged neighbors who don't know or care anything about the lives of others just as long as you stay off my lawn? No. The principles that guide us look like what Paul wrote about just a few verses ago. We speak humbly with gentleness and patience to one another. Like Proverbs 15.1 says, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We speak motivated by love for each other. We speak the truth and love to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is part of our gospel culture. Now, to use some of ben, Ben's words from just a couple weeks ago, we understand that we aren't the main character in the story. Our pursuit is to help each other see Jesus. So we speak the truth and love to one another to build up the body. And we understand we need to speak with meekness. Listen to these verses in Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. <laughs> and so we carefully approach hard topics not to prove our own point, but to listen and to learn and to offer wisdom from the word. We need to patiently bear up even if we get provoked in this process. I'm going to read that again. We need to patiently bear up even if we get provoked in this process. And so we tenderly, slowly speak the truth in love to one another. In love, we seek the welfare of others. We consider others better than ourselves, and we bear with one another even when we go through tough times in our relationships. We sacrificially love because that's how God loved us in Christ. And we speak the truth in love, not because we think we'll agree on everything peripheral to the gospel, but because we seek to maintain the unity of the faith and the fellowship of the redeemed. A few years ago, in 2005, I had just graduated from college. I was working at a faith-based drug and alcohol rehab program in the Twin Cities and was living with a few college buddies right by campus where I graduated. It was the weekend, and one of my roommates and I went to church together that day. Um, the same roommate and I worked at, a, at the rehab facility together. So yes, we lived together, worked together, went to church together. And we were also actually taking seminary classes at the time. And on our drive home from church, we were talking about, and it was really encouraging in this discussion, about where we felt like God might call us in ministry in the future. After arriving at home, we kind of went our separate ways. I went down to my bedroom to work on something, and my roommate went upstairs. His name was Nolan. Probably an hour or so later, my friend showed up at my door 
to my bedroom. It went something like this. He said, hey, Paul, it's great to talk about where God might be calling us in ministry. I think you'll be good at the things you mentioned. But I think it's important that you deal with the issue that you have with authority first. And he proceeded to bring up a situation at work um, where I had a pretty rebellious attitude about our supervisor and about some of the rules that he was asking us to enforce. And Nolan was right. I had been inappropriate. I'm honestly not exactly sure what I said back to him. I think I managed a cordial reply, something like, okay, thanks, man. Well, he went upstairs and I kept doing whatever I was doing, and I got to thinking about it, and I just I started to get mad. Infuriated, the longer it went. Within a few hours that evening, I was saying to myself, I don't care if I ever see Nolan again. <laughs> Forget him. After all, who does he think he is? Telling me that I've got a problem with authority? Now, over the next couple of days... I started to make phone calls to people who I, I think I probably was trying to get them to agree with me. I called my mom. You know, if, if you want somebody to agree, you call your mom, right? I, I remember talking to my sister. I think I talked to my brother. I talked to another close friend. And I asked them if they thought I had a problem with authority. And they had varying answers. Some kind of like, well, I don't know. And some like... Maybe, you know, but every one of them. Well, do you think the fact that you're so upset might be an indication that, that he's onto something? Well, within a couple of days, I was ready to talk to Nolan. But I wasn't mad anymore. The Holy Spirit had used what Nolan said to me in an area of my life where God's word needed to penetrate. It needed to heal me, and it needed to transform me. It was an area that needed reformation and change. I needed to grow. It was a dusty corner where there was some sin piled up, just a little bit of rebellion against God. I needed to see God as my ultimate authority, that he's good and that he's working for my good. And in that, the Lord helped me to see his goodness to me in a friend and brother like Nolan. He had shown me how much Nolan loved me to call something to my attention that was risky. It wasn't just warm and fuzzy and encouraging, something that could cause some turmoil and maybe more confrontation or hard conversation. Nolan spoke humbly and kindly. He didn't belabor the point. He didn't exasperate me in how he brought it up. He shared his peace, and he probably prayed for God to work. He wasn't offended by me that I didn't talk to him for a couple of days and that I didn't want to dive into it and talk about it. It wasn't his welfare that he had in mind. He was thinking of mine. Now this is one example of speaking the truth and love to one another. 
of bringing God's word to the places in our lives that need to be healed, where the king needs to be heralded, and we're to love one another in this way, by speaking the truth and love to each other. Now, this isn't dependent upon some special gifting. In Christ, each one of us has the Holy Spirit, and we all have his word. And these situations where we speak the truth and love to one another aren't all confrontational. They're not all hard. Sometimes we pick each other up with encouragement. Sometimes we address sin, yes. But in fellowship together, we love each other by speaking the gospel into each other's lives. Now a quick word on what is sometimes a more formal ministry of the word. This personal ministry of the word is also what guides your pastors at Orchard and some others here in our counsel to you. Sometimes informally, just like a brother or sister in Christ in any place in our church, your pastors seek to sow the word into your life to bless you. And sometimes we do this more formally through what we think of and call pastoral or biblical counseling. This is usually a more regular focused meeting to discuss specific topics or areas of discipleship and growth. And the goal of biblical counseling isn't simply to get you to modify your behavior. That sounds funny, doesn't it? I mean, that's usually part of what's needed. But our goal is to speak the truth and love into these moments and places in your lives where God is calling you to grow. And we trust that we are all changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit working in us. And the Holy Spirit works through the word, through speaking the word and the truth and love. Remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.20? said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us, The Holy Spirit in us uses these ministries of the word to change and transform and mature us. And this is how we grow. Now, having Christ and his word as our foundation and having this ministry means we will grow and we will lovingly help others grow. We grow into Christ as his body together. Our verses for today again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And when each part's working properly, later in verse 16, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we speak the truth in love to each other, we grow. And remember that contrast from verse 14 where Paul gave the example of children that are tossed to and fro. And in contrast to that, we grow and mature by speaking the truth in love. And we grow into Christ, who is our head. And when God's word and these facets of ministry of the word are central in the life of the body, growth and edification is the result. And we grow into Christ. He is our head. He's our source of growth and the reason for our growth. 
And it is him that we proclaim. This is how we grow up into Christ, by speaking the truth and love to each other. And this is the recipe for our maturity. Please stand, and I'll close in prayer. Lord, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish each other in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to you. Lead us, each one of us, to this end. And Lord, we pray that we grow in the use of our gifts as well, Again, for the edification of your body, your bride, that you would be glorified in us and through us. Give us courage, give us humility, and we're thankful to you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit and your word, that we know the fruit will be produced through your power. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.